the writer's block, who's who in horror comics live from the Mid-May Massacre. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creators of fine comics like Aberrant, Fanjax, and the Jump, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right is... David Avalone, a filmmaker, comic book writer, and uh, someone who may have put some liquor in his coffee. I love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, and many, many more. Our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear, ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. But as always, we have a great show for you today. We are at the Mid-May Massacre. Uh, bring everybody on, Chuck. Ronnie As everyone Burns, slowly Eric piles Powell. in. George C. Romero. <laughs> I might have put some coffee in my coffee. <laughs> awesome. That's one wow. way to do it. I feel like we have a, uh, a Hollywood Squares thing going on or uh, a Brady Bunch thing going on. I'll wow. take uh, George C. Romero for the win. Yeah, I think I think that makes – I'm pretty <laughs> sure that makes George Paul Lind, and I don't know how he's going to feel about that. But. <laughs> It's a good look. It's a good spot. It's a good spot for them to me and George. Uh, on the show, uh, we always feel like people know their resumes and what they want to highlight better than we do. So we'll go around and have everyone do just a brief introduction and tell us your name and uh, what you want people to know about you. Rodney, why don't you kick us off? Um, Rodney Barnes, writer, co-creator of Philadelphia. I'm also a screenwriter um, working on a monster movie with um, – Jordan Voigt Roberts, who did the wonderful Kong Skull Island, and I'm working on a Lakers show for HBO right now. Very nice. Awesome. Uh, David? David Dust Malchian? Hi. I, I'm sorry, everyone. My Wi Fi is crazy. I can't tell if you can even hear me, but I'm going to just keep talking. And if you can't, then. The <laughs> It's okay. I'm Dave Desmolchin, and I um, did Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter with, for Dark Horse with uh, my pal Lucas Kettner, who is with us today. And, and um, I have written some um, plays and screenplays, and I do some acting, and I'm just really excited to be here with um, so many people who I admire. Thank you, David. Uh, George, how about you? Hey, everybody. George uh, C. Romero. Um, I, I always put the C in there professionally. So be sure. Tell us apart. Uh, even though there's a lot of indicators. But anyway, um, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to meet everybody here. Uh, big, I'm a fan first of everything uh, that I do. And uh, I've got my first comics actually out with heavy metal. Uh, one is called Cold Dead War, and the other is called The Rise, uh, which is a very personal story to me. Beyond that, I'm a filmmaker, um, a producer, a former ad man, the whole thing. So um, I'm just happy to be here. Thank you, George. And Eric? Hi, I'm Eric Powell. Uh, I'm mostly known for my uh, creator-owned book, uh, The Goon. Um, right now, I'm working on a uh, graphic novel called uh, Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? Yeah. <laughs> about, about Ed Gein. Uh, and I'm co-writing it with uh, legendary true crime author 
uh, Harold Schechter, who is uh, a, a keen expert. So it's pretty interesting. <laughs> nice. Gene Fest, Geenorama. And uh, Brea? Hi, I am uh, Brea Grant. Did we lose somebody? Wasn't there more squares before this? Um, uh, um, I wrote uh, a book, uh, I wrote a graphic novel called Mary about the fictional uh, descendant of Mary Shelley. Um, it's a YA graphic novel you can get right now. And I guess it's kind of boring because we're all filmmakers too, but I'm a filmmaker too. You can see um, a movie I wrote and directed called 12 Hour Shift on Hulu right now. Or you can see the movie that I wrote and star in called Lucky on Shutter right now. Very nice. You know, it's weird. It's almost like you need to do something else aside from comics to make a living. No, no. It's, weird. it's weird that we're all filmmakers. I mean, who, who would guess a thing like that? Uh, Lucas, why don't you let us know? Hey, I'm Lucas Kettner, uh, comic book artist. Uh, done books like Witch Doctor, Kill the Minotaur, uh, and most recently, Count Crowley with David. And uh, yeah, my, my other thing that I do besides comics is just a lot of like illustration work, storyboarding, stuff like that. So. Amazing. But uh, wow. and last but wow. uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Hey guys, honored to be here, especially with people like these. Um, my uh, my horror cred comes from books like Lost Boys of the U-Boat Bremen, um, The Last God for DC Black Label, Low Road West, Boom Studios. I'm currently writing Extreme Carnage at Marvel and uh, Alien at Marvel also. Nice. Um, outside the horror space, I'm writing Superman and Action Comics and some other cool shit I can't talk about yet. Um, and side note, when I saw Eric's Ed Gein piece on Kickstarter, I just shot money out of a t-shirt cannon at it. I, like, I just cannot buy that shit fast enough. Thank um, you for that. Huge horror guy from way back. And um, just, I, I have a lot more horror. I would love to get out there soon. So, honored to be here. Very nice. Well, thank you all for joining us. It's an amazing panel. You know, I'm a fan of you all. I've been reading The Goon since issue one if memory serves back in the day uh when i saw you were on this panel i was like oh my god awesome um and brea grant is probably the only one of you i follow on instagram and i can't imagine why that is. um something I don't, I don't know what the i don't know what the the reason would that be but uh all just again amazing creators and i i always feel with horror it's always a question of like what what was your on-ramp to horror what was the thing that made you use horror as the the genre in which you want to tell stories? Uh, anyone want to jump in and, and start with that? Anyone have a, a thought on that? I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I talk about it a ton, and Rodney and Brea and other people who know me from past conversations we've had about comics and, and, and film um, and storytelling. But I, I grew up in the Midwest in a uh, – in, pretty heavily evangelical household where the concept of death was just so wrapped up so neatly and tightly into this simple explanation about this is what's going to happen. And then this is what's going to happen after that. And it didn't set right with me. And there was a lot of darkness and I grew up in the midst of the satanic panic. And I snuck away from my family down into the basement on Friday nights to watch our local horror host, Cremation Mortem, <laughs> introduce me to, um, 
you know, the masters of, of classic cinema from, you know, the hammer stuff and the castle stuff and all the universal stuff and all the schlock and B and Z films. And, um, and that was the pathway. That was like the, the thing that got me on the, the ramp and I, and it coincided kind of perfectly with wandering into, um, a comic shop and, and stumbling upon, uh, it was tomb of Dracula. Um, and, and it was like a, a rebranding thing that they were doing at the time that looked, the cover was so cool to me. And I, and I just, and it's been, I've been hooked and mainlining it every day since. I, I, I got to add that Cremacia Mortem. Did I get yes. that right? Yes. Cremacia where, Mortem. Where does, what, what province does Cremacia Mortem hold sway over? Cause so I've never heard of yeah, she was the she was the Kansas City uh, horror host for KSK, KSHB TV forty one when I was a kid. Um, I believe she was on air from like eighty to eighty eight, and um, every Friday night, Cremation's Nightmare would come on, and the little tags they would play little ads like during after school cartoons or sometimes throughout the week on on TV forty one, which was our Fox affiliate in Kansas City, and I was just like, who is this hot, hot, incredible? you know, vampiric looking woman and her jokes and her bits were amazing. You know, I mean, getting into those movies, especially alone without a parent to like be there with you. She was like my person holding my hand as I went into that, that space. And um, anyway, I, I entered every short story contest that she hosted and I entered every contest she hosted. I never won a damn thing. And many years later, we are now friends, Roberta Solomon, who is um, oh, that's great. Uh, and and she gave me one of her last remaining prize packages that she had kept in a, a box of stuff, and I wow. treasure it. It's if I was in my office, if I was getting Wi-Fi, I'd be able to show that to you guys today. But that's okay. It's you get it. Well, it's I, amazing I, how former. I'm, I definitely know about the importance of horror hostesses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, they can be they can be very helpful to your career. <laughs> oh wow, little little product placement. That's brilliant. Little, little product. It, it's amazing to me. By the way, the great Glenn Hansen uh, is the artist behind this incredible uh, Elvira image. Uh, Brea, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean. I also came of age, uh, was a teenager, like uh, during the satanic panic and also from a small town, but uh, also was a teenage girl and teenage girls tend to bond by going to slumber parties and watching horror movies together. And I was lucky enough to be a teenager when the first scream came out. So my introduction to horror was, was, you know, through bonding female friendships. Um, but then as I got older, um, I, I just found that horror and genre was a place for storytelling where you could say a lot more with a lot less, if that makes sense. And I came from sort of like this like punk rock background. And uh, when I started getting into filmmaking um, and uh, comic book writing, uh, I was just looking for a way to be able to put politics into my storytelling and genres just seen, it always has been and remains a place where you can sort of give people um, this little bit of like a spoonful of sugar. You know, you can do you can do fun stuff, uh, but then also talk about the things, the big issues that you want to talk about, um, whether they're political or whether they're personal. Um, I just find that genre is the best place to do it. I, t I total the last comic I did with Elvira was called The Omega Ma'am. And it was about <laughs> and it was about the pandemic, which, you know, hilarious topic. Uh, but uh, <laughs> 
but again, it allowed me to do something that was extremely political in a very non-political context with Elvira and zombies and people drinking bleach and turning into orange skinned zombies for some reason. Um, uh, Eric, how about you? What's your, uh, what's your intro or, um, Sunday afternoon monster movies that used to come on when I was a kid and, uh, monsters are more fun to draw than real people. So that was my, uh, I think that's where it, my, uh, you know, love of horror came from just, uh, old monster movies and just loving to draw monsters. And I always kind of had a, a bit of a dark sense of humor when I was a kid, my poor sister had to <laughs> catch the brunt of that. Um, like I remember when I was a kid, she had this, uh, like 12 inch cheerleader doll or something. And uh, our rooms were side by side. So every time she would leave the room, I would walk in there and move the doll into a different place <laughs> until she started to notice. And then she threw the doll away, but I took out the trash. So I took the doll out of the trash and put it back in her room. She... <laughs> so there was a lot of that. I feel sorry for it. There was a lot of that growing up, a lot of like mean, mean spirited, uh, creepy jokes played on my sister, but yeah, I think that's that's the origin of my love of horror. That's fun. I when I was a kid, and when I was you know quote unquote too young for horror movies, my father and my sister loved them, and her bedroom wall was my bedroom wall was just the other side, mm -hmm. so they would watch the scariest movies ever made <laughs> by the nineteen seventies, and I would only hear the sound very loudly as <laughs> okay. if that was okay. Like I wasn't seeing it, yeah. but imagine People dying. Yeah. Imagine hearing Trilogy of Terror and uh, <laughs> The Omen and The Exorcist. worse in a way. And The Haunting. They're actually almost a little scarier when you can't yeah. see what's going on and you don't know what's coming next. So I was horribly traumatized by all of these films I had never seen, but I was intimately familiar with the soundtracks, which is, uh, which is yeah, it, we used to it, always, it, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Do, do uh, um, my sister and I would always rent one horror movie and one comedy. That was our weekend rental pattern. We had to get one funny one, one scary one. And I think that also, you know, if you look at the stuff I do, like the goon, you know, sure. it's definitely a, a, a factor there. George, Did you watch the horror you? one first or second? Yeah, right. You always watch the horror one last because oh. <laughs> it's getting later. You know, it's it getting darker. So. Seems so like you're totally going for mass effect. You're not watching yeah. the, the comedy to clear the palate of no. the horror movie. You're watching the horror movie to clear all of the good feeling away from the comedy. <laughs> yes. And to go to sleep as upset and as traumatized as humanly possible. You that is go that, for that would have been my last guess in the world. Uh, <laughs> Ryland, you had something you were going to say? No, I mean, I, it's, it's funny to me. I, I you know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of, uh, you know, horror creators and, and how much uh, terrorizing our siblings uh, uh, mixes into it. It's like the first time we kind of experimented with um, telling these stories ourselves. Right. Um, my dad freaked my sister out. Uh, my sister and I are uh, step siblings, but we're about the same age. It, he freaked her out with this story 
I won't go too far into it, but it, it was it, it, the 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 it was it was called the dryer baby, and it was this baby who had died in a dryer. Freaked my sister out with it, and he, he would always come back and tell the dryer baby story. And I, I realized how much it freaked my sister out. And so I would like wake up in the middle of the night. I would like set an alarm for like 3 a.m. And then I would sneak downstairs into the basement and I would put like a, a small basketball into the dryer and start it running. <laughs> and so my sister would wake up in the middle of the night and hear the dryer and go, boom, 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 boom. And she would like freak out and then she would be like up for the rest of the night. But it was like my, you know, my, my first experiments in, in horror like came from that very same thing, you know, just kind of trying to mess with my sister and trying to scare the shit out of her. And then she came back at me with that. I also, I, I would, I would go and I would, I would, um, I would like hang her Ken dolls in the, uh, in, in the Barbie dream house. And then I would write a note, Barbie. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, you know? And she would come down and you hear, ah! but it's like the first horror stories I ever told right then and there. We're, we're, Amazing. we're, where Barbie drove me to suicide by Ken. That's yeah, quite exactly. a. That's a, I, I would not uh, suggest pitching that to the Barbie Corporation if you want to write comic books for that. It's just a <laughs> just a guess. I don't I don't think that's going to go over big. You don't see a lot of Barbie horror comics, do you? I don't know. Uh, they're doing all that afterlife with Archie stuff. You know, <laughs> so maybe. Yeah. True. Afterlife with Barbie. <laughs> Barbie beyond the grave. You know? <laughs> George, I bet everyone thinks they know your answer to the question, but I I want to hear it from your mouth. What what was your uh, what made horror the thing you wanted to do? You know, it's funny. I get asked this um, a lot, and and there is you know there are the 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 surface answers, which are the you know the obvious ones. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's interesting. I was raised sort of as an only child, and. Um, it's it's really funny listening to Ryland's story because I think the first time I ever tried to scare anybody was in in school and a friend of mine ended up in the hospital. He got lead poisoning or something. And he ended up in the hospital and we all had to write him a letter. And so I, I wrote him this letter about how they were going to cut his arm off. And, um, it was like a three page letter. And everybody oh, said him that he's... You know, and I went into all this medical detail and I went into all this stuff and I told him not to trust the doctors and everything. And apparently he freaked out and like he wouldn't show the doctors his arm or anything for days. He was terrified. And uh, I think that might have been the first time I ever truly tried to scare anybody. But I think, um, you know, beyond that, like I got my first little film camera when I was seven. And I started making like, you know, hey, there's there's Klingon Nazis in my basement and hey, there's, you know, Klingon like Nazis are treasure in the backyard Nazi. type stuff. And uh, and then I went to the first set I ever went to with my dad and I saw kind of, you know, on that scale. And then as a child seeing that scale, um, it 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 kind of turned my whole focus into the way I was telling stories and being raised sort of as the only child I um I spent a lot of time alone, and so I, 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 I started looking for the smaller genres. You want to tell stories, you know, they always say when you start writing, write what you know. And so, you know, I knew this sort of very solitary kind of childhood and life, and so that's where I kind of turned. And then uh, I think what really got me was the day that we had this old creepy basement in this house I lived in, and my mom had these like shelves down there with all these old film reels because she used to be this this uh, she used to be in advertising. And actually, my parents actually met when my mom hired my dad to do some tourism stuff for Pennsylvania. 
And so she had these stacks of old film reels down there that were all his old like tourism films. And I just started spooling them up one day. I was maybe, I don't know, eight or nine. And I spooled one up and it was a 16 millimeter print of night. And I sat there in this like dark concrete creepy basement and watched this, this movie by myself. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and then I was, I was hooked from that point. I was like, yep, yeah, this is my life mom. And she was like, Son of a bitch. <laughs> that, is, that seems like the peak way to view that movie. Like of all the ways to view that movie, 16 millimeter alone, a child in a creepy basement. It's like, it did all the right things. I think a science experiment to, to make to that movie more, you know, more terrifying for you. Yeah, uh, the next time I, I, I saw it, my dad, it was like he looked at me a little strange and he said, oh, you saw it, didn't you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> but look, I, we're, we're on to something very interesting here. You know, I think with the we talk about the letter, we talk about moving the doll, we talk about putting the basketball in, in, in the dryer, all of these things. You know, um, I mean, with horror, you can just so quickly affect somebody like drastically. Right. It is just a massive, overwhelming, emotional uh, uh, response, right? And and I think I think we intuitively know that immediately, right? And 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 there's a power that that we experience when we kind of play with that, when we wield that sword, and you kind of get hooked on that. And I think that that's what gets us down here. You know, if we're gonna write a if we're gonna write a meaningful character drama, right? You you might affect someone emotionally over the course of a two hour period, right? Um, it's almost like walking through fog. You know, it's like eventually you get wet. Um, but it, but it might take that two hours, right? I mean, w with horror, with moving the doll, with writing the letter, with putting the basketball in the dryer, you are taking a giant bucket of water and just splashing them right in the fucking face, right? And it is wondrous, and it is, it is amazing. And I think that I, I think that we all get addicted to it. You know, it's like this is our drug. You know, it, it's fun. And 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 then and then sort of the other side of that coin is the people that consume this, and I'm, I'm one of these people, you get addicted to getting that bucket of, of water in the face also, right? I mean, that's, that's why you make the choice. That's why you don't watch the horror movie first and then calm yourself down with the comedy. It's because like you get, you get the comedy out of the way and then you take that bucket in the face and you want to sit with it for the rest of the night, right? It's definitely a way to go. I, it's, in terms of, you know, being, <laughs> being relative to your, uh, to your dad's work, when I was five or six, my dad novelized Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And he, because of that, he was invited to a screening of it to which I was taken. I don't know that he thought real hard about what's in that movie before taking a five, six year old to see it, because you might not think of that in the abstract as a horror movie, but the mutants and the telepathy and the, the apes on horseback and then the end of the entire fucking world in the last five minutes and Charlton Heston holding his beating heart in his hand because he's been shot in the chest. It's not good for children. I just want to, you know, go right out on a limb and say, do not show that to your five-year-old. Wait until they're seven at the very least. Uh, Lucas, I don't think we get an answer from you on this question. Oh, is, is Luke? Am I, am I cutting out? We can hear you. You guys hear me okay? Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, well, it was uh, in elementary school, uh, I just wasn't allowed to watch that stuff. You know, we're talking like second, third grade. And that was like the secret thing that all the kids were into. Like, you know, talk to your parents about Nintendo and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. But then everybody would be like, have you seen Nightmare on Elm Street yet? 
and I hadn't. So I was just, I would just like lie my way through it and be like, oh yeah, I, I saw it. Uh, and uh, finally, like, I think it was like third grade or something. My dad sat me down and he's just like, I'm going to let you watch Alien. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's a little heavy, but it's really good. And so that was, that was what kicked it off. Like I finally got to see like my first actual horror movie that wasn't just like, you know, part of it at a friend's house. And then it just, it snowballed from there. By the time I was in sixth grade, I'd like seen you know, everything that our local video store had, sure. um, good and bad. And then, yeah, there there was some pretty so like so for you it was a and, for you it was a forbidden fruit thing. It was yeah, uh, it was you know, it, it was yeah, the, yeah. I think I got a little but, conditioned by that to just be like sure. like this this is sure. the cool desirable thing. But then you know when I finally got around to seeing it, I was like, this is good. This is great. So this panel is full <laughs> of good parenting advice. You know, don't show beneath my apes your small children. And, uh, don't make them think horror movies are forbidden fruit. Or do, you know, if you want them to end up doing this for a living and having to also be a filmmaker or a commercial illustrator. Uh, Philip, what's your uh, what's your answer? Uh, not good parenting for sure. Um, <laughs> it's as far as like media. Um, I mean, there's media stuff that, that made a big difference to me for sure, but actually it was more a couple of real life experiences that kind of got me, got me hooked on this stuff. And it was, I mean, as far as the movies, um, it was Night of the Living Dead. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, my, uh, I was not, like my house was not a birthday party type place, but after my parents split up, my mom let me have some friends over and we watched, we watched Night and it was, and all the other kids, and that was my first legit horror movie that I ever seen. And the other kids were just pissing their pants. I mean, like they're they just it really hit them hard. And I I mean I was scared, but I was also like fascinated. I was like, damn, like I I was so struck by how much it impacted everyone compared to other stuff I'd seen. I was like, ever I was struck by how different everyone was acting. And they seemed like, wow, this really hit everyone really hard. And I and the alien film also was a huge influence on me. The first two. I don't even remember how old I was when I watched the first one. Um, and I loved it. Um, and like, I was, I was also, I had this little, little small town, very modest library that didn't have a ton of stuff, but I, but they did have a lot of the Stephen King books. And I read a lot of those, mm -hmm. um, the dark half was actually one that made a huge influence on me before. I mean, ever like it and the stand are the ones that everyone talks about. And those were huge for me too. But my third one of the, my top three would have been the dark half. I just loved it. And I also thought it was just a, such a crazy, creepy concept that, not, that never left me. But probably the biggest influence on me was something that happened in real life. Uh, my dad um, is a, he's super intense and he has a, he's really into like earth science and paleontology and he had a lot of a lot of bones and shit around the house, including a uh, like a big line of skulls on the bookshelf. Um, not humans yeah he did have one human skull that I now that I now own. <laughs> Um, but there were others like for all the way down from like a shrew all the way up to like this gigantic ram skull with the big satanic horns. Oh, out of the top of it. that's so awesome. Uh, it was kind of awesome. And I liked it. People would come over and they're like, fuck is this? And uh, people would be kind of taken aback, but I, I thought it was cool. It was just kind of just what my house looked like. And at some point we were, uh, we drove by, I know I should be, I should not be telling the story. No, no. But this is what it, this is what we're now. This is what it's all about. Sir. <laughs> but we were. You're gonna dig it though. This particular panel is one I feel I will appreciate the story. So we're 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 driving down the road and we pass a dead skunk on the road, and my younger sister is with us, who is a very small child, and dad 
wanted her to see it. Wanted, wanted us to see it. And it was like, well, let's, let's take it home. Because she, she had recently seen the skulls and, and he was kind of explaining to her what, just, you know, circle of life type stuff. And uh, well, let's just take it. So we pulled over and um, had like a plastic bag in the back and we just grabbed it and took it home and we buried it together. And it was all completely trash, but the head was intact. So we buried it at home. And um, a, a few weeks later, dad's like, um, I think that thing's probably ready. Let's go, let's go get the, let's go get the skeleton ready. And, and so we went out and dug it up. And I don't remember how old I was, but it was definitely, I was definitely not, not, not old. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe eight, but that's a, that's a total ballpark. I'm not sure how old. So we dug it up. Well, it was not ready, in fact. And there were, the whole thing was like enveloped in beetles and worms and sure. just, just, it was almost like it still had flesh, but it was all like coursing through the bones and everything. And it was just, it looked so intense and so crazy. It just, it, I, I lost my, uh, you know, we all think of our bodies as like having the state of permanence. And like, this is, this is what my body looks like. This is what a face looks like. This is what, you know, just, yeah. Anyway, that, that was that moment when that left me. And I realized like the life just started to feel a lot more dynamic. Sure. Um, and I, I hid my sister's eyes because she's very small. And, um, and I just couldn't stop looking at it. I'm like, holy shit. And I just, it, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of fascinated with it. And it made me want to kind of explore more of that stuff. And so I, I just, it kind of changed my whole outlook on creepy stories, but also on mm -hmm. the concepts of life and death. And um, I kind of like started reading books on, you know, whatever, serial killers or just like crime scene stuff, or just it kind of, it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of fascination with concepts of life and death and um of body horror and mm -hmm. um just these kinds of stories between that and and seeing the effect of stories on people and just and just the realization of what the real life stuff had uh, kind of impact it had on me um i guess that was probably my most impactful moment um as far so, as what so your sister's a serial killer now right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, naturally yeah she's in prison assuming <laughs> that childhood experience that uh She's gone on to bigger and better uh, backyard corpses. Yeah, I mean, she's she's in prison, but she's great. And we talk all the time. <laughs> talk on the phone, um, you know. I send her cookies. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. No, she and, is legit great, and she totally does not remember that that happening. Um, but I'll certainly never forget. It. And it was a very unorthodox parenting choice, but um, but it definitely just had made me look at these kind of things very differently. And sure. yeah, it's impacted a lot of the stories I've written since then. Sure. As as a grown adult, I was stabbed by a psycho killer. True story. Uh, really? And uh, my father, because of my father's uh, being a writer, I was friends with Robert Block, the author of Psycho. And wow. he had died like three weeks before I was stabbed. And sitting in the ambulance, literally, my first thought was, "Oh man, Bob would have loved this story." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could call Bob Block up and say, "Hey man, it happened to me. I got stabbed by a crazy person with a knife." Um, so the, the joys of real life horror is uh, a <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, dude, that's way better. Yeah, right. Uh, well, way better is living uh, and not ending up in the swamp in your car. I think that's a that's a that's a good way to go. Um, the the other half of what we all do is, you know, comics as a genre for horror. 
and you know what what makes you feel like comics are a great delivery device uh for horror come there we go Philadelphia, I love that. That looks, Ooh, I, that looks familiar. That looks I really just familiar. went to the shop yesterday, and I and I was or a couple days ago, and I and I was looking at all the stuff I got. I was like, I know I'm caught up on Philadelphia right now, but that is scaring the crap out of me, Rodney. By the way, it's getting better every fucking month. It's so Thank good. you very much. I appreciate that. So sorry, I knew you were transitioning to comics. No, no, I was, no, like, I was, like, I was like, am I authentically a good horror comic panelist? <laughs> I have a stack of comics that I just got. What's horror? Oh, Rodney's on our panel here. Thank you. Yeah, my stack is behind me, and I know it at least has Vampirella, Christopher Priest's uh, run of Vampirella behind me, which has been just really, really, really great stuff. Uh, really That's great really modern take on it, uh, which I love. I've always, as an aside, what I, my favorite thing about Vampirella, I've never been a big vampire fan. And the fact that she's from another planet is like my absolute favorite. Because vampires are all kind of this, there's a lot of sameness in the presentation. And I just yeah, love yeah. that her origin story is, no, she's from the planet Draculon. Yeah. Just deal they with it. drink man. iron. They need iron. It's yeah, simple. Deal with it. The river's run red, yeah. red with blood and that's who she yeah. is. And I... I think that's I think that's a fantastic, you know, origin story to get away from Eastern Europe and crosses and go straight to the planet made up entirely of vampires. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, for a little bit. And by the way, I wanted to say to the, the the kids out there in TV land, if you have any questions, put them in the chat, and we'll try and get to them by the end of the uh, by the end of the panel. Any question at all. But like, what what drew you all individually to uh, comics as a medium, uh, and, and particularly as a medium for horror? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Thoughts you'd like to express? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to go first. Yeah, we, we don't actually want you to think it. We would. Yeah. Want you to... <laughs> uh, for me, it was uh, it was a total shift. It was um, you know coming from a world of of uh more you know filmmaking and and that type of stuff it was a total shift and one that was actually a little bit intimidating to me at first sure. because but it was it turned out to be intimidating the wrong for the wrong reasons i i i kept thinking it was going to be limiting right uh, because i spent my life with a camera in my hands and so i kept thinking well how how in the hell am i supposed to do this in these little panels on these pages and then I realized that each of those panels, every single panel is like the construct in the matrix. And then it became intimidating from a, uh, the, the standpoint of freedom. So it actually, it, you know, and then I started overthinking the whole thing and then I dove into it and I realized how amazingly fun it was and how it's actually probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. So uh, there you go. Sure. Perfect. Ray, I know you do horror in a variety of uh, of, of mediums. What uh, what do you love about uh, doing it in comic books? I mean, I, I obviously like, yeah. All of us having that filmmaker background, there's comics is just you can kind of actually do the things you want to do. You can be like, I want to write a giant Loch Ness monster, and no producer is saying to you like, you can't afford that. You can literally write anything. So it's in that way, it's like it feels like a very expressive medium and then i think something we're all kind of talking around is that i think we're all like nerdy fans like i'm a comic book reader so 
Um, I wrote comics before I wrote screenplays. My first mm -hmm. comic book came out in 20, 2009, and I didn't make a movie until 2013 as a filmmaker. Um, uh, as an actress, obviously, I have before that. Um, but I think for me, it just felt like a very obvious place thing to do. It's like, I'm a fan of this thing, so I want to make this thing, which is why all of us like horror movie nerds are like, I love horror movies. I want to go make horror movies. And it's also like just a lovely fandom to be a part of. The horror community is just a nice place to sort of live and exist in. And uh, so when I'm thinking about like what I want to create and who I want to be talking to about it for the next however many years of my life, it's like, yeah, genre people. That's That seems like a fun group of people to surround myself with. Did you have a favorite horror comic when you were a kid? Or, you know, was there one that stood out I, to you? So I didn't start reading comics until I was maybe like 19 or 20. Um, I'm, uh, I was just, I, I was raised like traditional Texas girl. So not a lot of comic books in being introduced to me. Um, horror movies, yes, but not comic books. Mm. And the first ones, I was just sitting here trying to think of the first ones I read. Um, I think the comic book that like got me in was The Invisibles, um, mm. which is not horror, but it has like genre elements. And it was sure. such a game changer for me because it had all, these interesting characters and these politics. And I it was just everything I was kind of interested in at the time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, David, what are your, what are you, what, what, what brought you into comics? Um, yeah, I, 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 my father was sometimes not nice when I was a kid. <laughs> he was going to the Montgomery wards, uh, hardware department. Uh, at the Metcalf South Mall, and I want—I I was like, I don't want to be around him. I was in like third grade, and I—he had gotten me an Avengers off of like a spinner rack at a Seven Eleven, and I was obsessed with it. Avengers number two forty-nine. I think <laughs> they're fighting Maelstrom, but it was like life-changing, and I, I. I wandered into this place called Clint's Books, and there was a guy, a couple of teenagers behind the counter smoking cigarettes and playing D and D. It was like out of a movie, and I it was so mystical and magical. And I saw this Tomb of Dracula, um, the concept of horror comics. Um, they were not as prevalent then, but the back issues and the boxes were so fun for me to spend afternoons combing through. And old magazines like the old issues of Famous Monsters that were in like. Back then, like the throwaway boxes, they weren't considered like collectible back then in a way. And so I had tons of that stuff. Um, yeah. And that experience that I'm sure we all had, whether it was through novels or comics, but sitting up at night with a flashlight in bed and and, and reading that. Yeah. And I never and, and I never imagined I would have the honor of getting to have my name on a comic book. I, I, I've said this many times, but I, I ate the donuts my whole life and I never, ever consider that the fact that I would ha get get to make the donuts and uh, it's been and, and everybody that's here on this panel in some way or another their work has uh, impacted me um, and it's really exciting and yeah Eric my god goon like it's crazy that I get to be on a panel with you and by the way mm -hmm. I texted Steve Agee and told him I was going to be paneling with you and he said to say hi oh Steve is great Steve's I love guy. Yeah, he, uh, he did, came out and did uh, the Goon uh, 25th anniversary show. Me and Steve and Peter Capaldi were in a comic shop together in Atlanta looking at some great mm – -hmm. there was this special collector's thing that they had put out for the Goon and geeking out over the Goon together and talking about the Goon together. This is like a year or so ago we were doing Suicide Squad in Atlanta and 
they came to support me because I was doing a Crowley signing and, and, you know, after the four people who showed up had left, uh, we just spent the day like <laughs> looking at comics together and we had this whole great conversation about you and your work and, and, uh, anyway, not sorry for the sidebars here. No, it's fine. And those guys are those, I don't know, Peter, I've known Steve for years and you know, just huge nerds. And oh, Steve's and by the case, way, one, one other side... literally a huge nerd. Oh, Steve, yeah, he's he's, he's, he's <laughs> the man, uh, the literally man a seven man. foot nerd. He's a seven yeah. nerd. And 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 Rodney, um, they, I live near a place. I shouldn't say because I don't want to give away my personal home location. But there's this this certain series about the Los Angeles Lakers uh, that's going to be coming soon, which mm-hmm. somebody on this panel may be uh, a, a very integrally a part of. They're filming like by me all the time, and I, I always go and be like, "Hey, is Rodney, hello. Is Rodney around? Uh, I'm uh... <laughs> come and say hello, please." Well, okay, okay. They paid me to use my front yard to put like really? their background actors in. Which, yes. which day was it? Like it, it was. It was. There's a restaurant. Oh, that's all I'll say. The restaurant scene. Uh, John C. <laughs> Riley was there. Um, yes. So, like two weeks ago, like near Studio City. Ish, yes. Ish, okay. yes. All yeah. right. Cool. Anyway, <laughs> I won't give any more away like, what the address actually was, but yeah. I think if, I if you could, if you could just post a Google Maps link, yeah. Yeah. we won't triangulate your location. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. In spite of it, uh, Chuck in the control room, do you have any questions from the uh, from the audience that you'd like to share with us? What is your favorite horror genre to write? Zombies, apocalyptic slasher. Uh, I, I will say one thing about that question. The, uh, there was a, a great interview with Robert Block years ago where the interviewer asked him, what are your opinions about the current state of the horror slash thriller genre? And he said, I think the emphasis is too much on the slash, uh, which I thought, considering he invented the slasher genre, I thought it was a pretty funny uh, perspective from him. Uh, any thoughts on that? Any anyone have a preference of a the the flavor of horror they like to write? I don't know if My, I have a. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, please, Eric. No, I I was just gonna say um, I don't know if I have a favorite genre, but I always like the sympathetic monster. You know, mm. I always prefer the Frankenstein kind of story rather than the Dracula story because Dracula revels in being a monster and. Uh, I always find it more interesting when the the monster is somewhat sympathetic. Sure. Yeah, I can honestly say my favorite movie and the thing that we didn't, I didn't really answer the question. The thing that inspired me to be a filmmaker, storyteller, uh, when I was a kid, Channel 9 in New Jersey got the rights to show King Kong, 1933 King Kong. At the time, there was no other King Kong. There was only 1933 (laughs) King Kong. And uh, they showed it twice a day for a week. Uh, and my wow. father actually had me stay home from school to watch it because he 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 loved it and he wanted me to see it. And the fact that the main character is a filmmaker, I think, is underestimated in how influential that movie is in turning people into filmmakers. Because Carl Denham's excitement in that version of the story is pretty, you know, it's adventure and excitement and a long sea voyage. <laughs> it starts tomorrow at dawn. Who doesn't want to be that guy? That sounds incredibly <laughs> exciting to me. Uh, but about the sympathetic monster thing, uh, just one thing about Kong that I think most modern versions have gotten wrong and the remakes have gotten wrong. In the first movie, I don't think they thought real hard about how sympathetic he would be in the last 10 seconds of the movie. 
I think it's an organic thing that comes out of the story. Every filmmaker that's done it since is crippled by knowing that he's sympathetic at the end. So in 76, in the Peter Jackson movie, he's sympathetic from the beginning. Yeah. They just can't, they, they, the filmmaker just loves Kong and they can't not love him. And for 88 minutes of the original 90-something minute movie, Kong is just a completely horrifying, terrible creature. And then literally two seconds before he dies, you go, oh, what an unfortunate thing this has all been. <laughs> what a terror. And it's the fact that it's a surprise to you as an audience member that makes that work so incredibly well. And I think the same thing is in Frankenstein is right up into the end. You're like, oh, this thing is horrible. Kill it. And then just as it's being killed, you go, oh, man, this why do we have to why do we have to do all this? This was this didn't have to go this way. Uh, so I think that's a that's a very yeah. powerful. I think there is an un I think there is an unintended theme in the original King Kong. I think you're right. I think because we look at it today and go, this is man's inhumanity to nature. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was the intent at all when they were making the movie. I mean, he ends it with was beauty that killed the beast, you right. know, and they're like in that day and age, they didn't care what they were doing to animals. You know, it was an animal. Shoot it. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, just so, yeah. Between the model makers and Max Steiner in that last 30 seconds, you go, oh, mm -hmm. this is bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> You're making me feel bad now at the end of the movie where the monster gets killed. That's not right. How dare you make me feel bad? But that's why it's a classic for 100 years, you know, because it does something the audience doesn't see coming. And I think that's it's at the root of a lot of horror is the more you can, you know, the more you can actually have a surprise that it's not just a cat jumping out of a locker. You know, but that's an emotional surprise. That's really the holy grail in a lot of ways. Uh, we have a question. Did any of you guys grow up reading Creepshow? I read Creepshow. I also love Bernie Wrightson as well. Oh, yeah. Everything yes, from Swamp Thing, his House of Mystery covers. Um, him and Mike Plug were kind of my guys. Sure. Yeah, Bernie, Bernie was amazing. I never, I don't think I read Creepshow when I was a kid. I read... DC Comics had something called Weird War Stories. And creature my Commandos, was, Tales of the Creature Commandos, man. They <laughs> yep. were the best. And my, the father was a, my father was a World War II veteran, so I was kind of already interested. And my favorite thing that DC Comics did, and it's only borderline horror, is The War That Time Forgot, which is such a... It's one of the most naked commercial... What do little boys play with? Army men and dinosaurs. Army men versus dinosaurs. I've cracked it. <laughs> and like, that's, the, that's the thing we should sell. And the thing is, it's literally endless Pacific Island battles between American soldiers and dinosaurs. And it's like the same formula every issue. And I read all of them, if at all possible. Um, Rodney, I, you know, I, I, I sent it to you. I, we've spoken about it, I believe. And, and Brea, we have as well. And I hate to embarrass him. But I, I always like liken our guest, uh, fellow panelist Lucas Kettner to being the Bernie Wrightson of our generation. The way he works and the way, Lucas, you capture, and not just with the, the Dark Horse comic that somebody else happened to work on who's on this panel, but the, all of your work, when I, when I see it ranging four quadrant to highly gory stuff, um, like Witch Doctor that you've done, it's, it evokes that 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 energy to me but it's not just nostalgia it's still very present and like moving the needle forward um and i hope everybody who's watching this will will 
Google him and seek out his work because it is Bernie. Bernie set the standard, and um, yep. and I think you carry the the, the torch beautifully. Agreed. He was, you know, he was one of my favorites. He's the one that got me, and it, that you know, when I finally met other artists, they were just like, you know, he he used a brush, and I was like, you can do stuff with a brush, wow. And uh, I just kind of that that was the you know that was kind of the catalyst, and that's you know I I you know nobody can draw like Bernie did, but I mean I I see so many wonderful artists and influenced by so many people that kind of like you know, steer where I'm going. I mean, uh, Eric, you're one of them. I mean, I've been reading The Goons since I interned at Dark Horse in like 2004, 2005. And that just was a huge, huge influence on the way I was, not the way I draw, but the way I was trying to draw kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, the, the we, style uh, on The Goon is, is, uh, is truly beautiful. And yeah. I think it's very much in that Bernie uh -huh. that, that line yeah. between cartooning and photorealism that's just the sweet spot right. of comic books and it's a thing that you that's can do in comic books that you really can't do anywhere else and it's it's such a and it's such a sweet spot for horror uh you know not just bernie wrightston but so many so many artists since that he inspired uh but uh mm -hmm. we we're at our actual official end time. Uh, Rylan and I always like to end up by going around and saying, where can people find you and what would you like to flog the most? Uh, <laughs> so Lucas, let's start with you. Where can people find you and what would you like to flog the most? Nope, maybe Lucas is frozen. Oh. David, why don't you pick Sorry, up Lucas. Twitter, Sorry. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, I have a web, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's going good. Yeah. You, can you, Type it in the comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you hear me? Okay? Yes, yeah, we, we got you. Now. Okay. All right. Uh, you, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, lucaskettner.com. And uh, yeah, you can check out Count Crowley. I've got a few other projects I'm working on now that aren't announced yet. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Hit me up, interact. Love to hear from you. Awesome. Nice, thank you, Lucas. And David, I know you're yes. also Count Crowley. Where can people find yes. you? So go to your local comic shop, please, and pick up the trade paperback, volume one of Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, and uh, be sure to go. I get vaccinated immediately if you haven't already, and go to the cinemas in August to see The Suicide Squad, and then go back <laughs> again in October to see Dune and see every other movie that you care to go see. Let's keep those theaters and comic shops uh, putting a lot of green in their uh, cash registers right now so we can um, just take this this world is ready to crack open to a new thing. I'm so excited, you guys. I mean, we still have so much crap to deal with, but I feel like we're on the precipice of a exciting time for all of us. And I um, just get vaccinated, educate yourself, buy comic books, go to movies. I love you. That's all. That's great, David. Yeah, if love I mean, it. if we've learned anything from horror movies, I think get vaccinated is pretty high up on the list. Uh, <laughs> no! Have a chance to yeah. duck out of the zombie apocalypse by just you know Don't a day of feeling the under the weather. I think you should do it. Yes, I think you should do it. I think you should get your anti-zombie apocalypse uh, jab if at all possible. Brea, where can people find you? Uh, just Instagram. I've left a lot of social media platforms, but you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name. Um, and, um, 
I have a podcast you can listen to if you like reading books. Like we talk about comics, we talk about books, we talk about reading called Reading Glasses. Uh, that's the name of the podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah, check out my movies on uh, a movie called Lucky on Shutter and a movie called Twelve Hour Shift on Hulu. And will there be more of Mary? We're gonna see. It's, it's probably. It seems like it. There's things in the works happening with that. So um, hopefully there will be something soon we can talk about. Mary, for those who don't know, it, it's a YA novel. Yes, it is. Or it's YA a YA graphic novel. novel. Yeah. 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 So about yeah. the descendant of Mary Shelley. Mary yeah. Uh, buy it for your nieces or mm -hmm. nephews or yourself. You can totally. listen. It's. I think like it's relatable for everyone. It's about a girl not living up to her legacy. Nice. And Eric? Uh, you can find me on lagoon.com. It has links to all my social media stuff on there. And uh, my company is albatrossfunnybooks.com. Uh, right now we have, did you hear what Eddie Gein done on uh, Spine Special Edition on Kickstarter? And you can order the uh, regular edition at your local comic shop or bookstore. Um, and that's about it. Awesome. <laughs> And George? Uh, you can find out pretty much everything at RomeroPictures.com. I'm mostly active on Instagram. Um, there's other socials, but um, I guess Instagram would be the best one, George C. Romero. Uh, but anything else project-wise, you can find out about at RomeroPictures.com. Um, I just got the uh, 501c3 certification for the Veterans Compound, which is veteranscompound.org. And I'm uh, working on a huge effort to bring some resources to the Tampa and the uh, Tampa, Florida and Lexington, Kentucky areas. And you can learn about that at briefcasepictures.com. That's amazing, George. Great. Philip? I'm at philipkennedyjohnson.com. Two L's and Philip. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've got Superman, Alien, and um, Action Comics coming out every month. And soon there's going to be some other really cool stuff coming out. Um, yeah, I mostly make comic books and music. So check me out on my website and uh, hit me up online. Very nice. And Rodney? Yeah, you can find me at the Rodney Barnes on Twitter and Instagram or rodneybarnes.com. Um, Every month with Philadelphia, I'm doing a Blackula reboot uh, nice. as well, yeah, coming up nice. soon, and um, a bunch of other stuff. Amazing. Who's, who's, the Blackula, who's the Blackula reboot with, if you can well, say? Well, I got the rights from MGM, and I'm doing it through my own publishing company, Zombie Love Studios, and um, hopefully January, February. The great Scott Hampton is painting it. Oh, my and, God. Um, I love that dude. Yeah, so wow. there you go. That's amazing. And Ryland? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. It's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it, and so now I have to spell it uh, for you. Uh, you can find Aberrant and Banjax and find comic shops everywhere and on Amazon and Comixology and, you know, places like that. Uh, look for my new comic book. It is a tokusatsu joint called Suicide Jockeys that will be in previews in June. It's badass. Check it out. And, uh, awesome. and watch and listen to the writer's block. True enough. There you go. And uh, I can, all of my stuff can be found at uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, with links to all of the various socials. Um, the nice thing about having a name that got you teased your entire childhood is in the age of Google, 
you are very easy to find because it's not that common a name. Um, and coming up next, uh, it should be in previews either this month or next month, I'm doing Elvira Meets Vincent Price uh, as a, yeah. a four-issue miniseries that'll be fun. And there are two other standalone Elvira uh, projects uh, that should be coming in the fall. Uh, and other, I'm working on a, a post-apocalyptic thing with Kevin Eastman that we haven't even begun to announce or think about too clearly, but that's up next. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for being on this panel. Thanks, You're all guys. amazing thank artists. You. And thank you. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.